Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Here's a caring hug for you at this tough time. Remember that we never missed a week during the last lockdown. We're steaming right through this lockdown, and all the listeners will remember that the ruck came out in every week of the bubonic plague in the 1560s. That's just the type of guys we are. Also this week, the All Blacks are for sale. Yes, it's true. They're looking for a saviour in the form of private equity. If you fancy buying a team that's failed to win three of their last five, make a bid and the All Blacks could be yours. Also this week, we get a brand new TV company to cover the Autumn Nations Cup. Apparently, what you do is send in some dosh and a bloke in a van brings you a brown cardboard box with a TV in. And if it doesn't fit, you send it back. Autumn Nations Cup. How exciting is that? Well, how exciting is it? I'm not sure. And also in this edition, anyone who loves playing rugby at all levels, all the volunteers and club heroes, when will rugby start again? Well, we've got someone who knows and all will be revealed. Today's panel can only be described as a trio because there's three of them. <laughs> Lawrence, uh, I'll come to you first. There's a list of 45 experts who are going to be on Amazon Prime. The usual suspects, Flatman, Hamilton, Hart, Dylan Hartley's on after dissing the media for years. He now wants to join us. Jamie Roberts, etc. One key name is missing from this panel, Lawrence. Were your demands too big or was Amazon Prime just too small for you? <laughs> well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm not sure I was even allowed to enter the negotiations, but uh, no, listen, I've, I've uh, watched with interest as they've assembled their team. It's not easy to uh, to, to arrive at it from a, with a fresh sort of um, angle, a fresh dimension. Channel 4 also covering some of the autumn internationals, I believe, as well. And it'll be interesting. Uh, Amazon Prime had a go at football across one weekend. Gabby Logan presented it. You know, as well as you, you would expect from, from, from her, she's, she's very, very good. I think she's, she's presenting the rugby as well. I saw that, um, Sam Warburton, uh, was also part of that team as well, which is, uh, fantastic. I love hearing what he's got to say about the game. He obviously, um, saw the writing on the wall in the, in the Wales camp nice and early and got, got himself out quite quickly. Yeah. I was actually going to give him a quick, a quick call on that note, actually, because I'd love to sort of know exactly what's going on down there. I know we'll talk about that in a minute. He obviously decided that he, you know, he's, he's recently retired. He's probably got a number of different opportunities on the table and, and he's got to, he's got to take those opportunities as opposed to necessarily uh, being involved. But no, listen, 
um, looking forward to, to, um, to seeing how the, uh, how the other half do it, so to speak, and uh, taking a few weeks off the coverage. It's not easy generating enthusiasm and interest in games when there's no fans there. Wish them the very best. Our um, second panellist could be described as from the old media, even though he's not old himself. Alex Lowe, do you pinch yourself now and again that you work for the Thunderer, the first newspaper and the most famous newspaper in the world? I do. I joined what, seven years ago now from the Press Association. And I do remember thinking uh, my first piece was with John Jeffrey about scrummaging, I think, and, um, and, and changing the scrum well, regulations or something. When you think scrummaging, you always go to John Jeffrey. Well, <laughs> in his position on World Rugby. Anyway, I remember oh. that being printed and thinking, do you know what? Like, that's everything I wanted to do in this job was to get a large piece interview, interesting stuff written and printed under my name in the Times. It was, yeah, it was great. And of course, from, from there, I, I'm not equating it to an international sports career, but you get the job you've wanted to do. And then you just want to keep doing more and keep, keep going on more, more tours and covering more, more England games and getting more stories and, and to do it, um, for, for the Times is, yeah, it's a, it's a special thing. I remember Mark Suster, who used to work at the Times and, and at the, the Sunday Times Review. He, he said he was there for 20 odd years. So that I never quite got my head around the fact I was working for this newspaper. 20 years, incidentally, is a probation, a probationary period <laughs> on Times newspapers. Now we've also got with us Adam Hathaway from what might be called Adam the other end of the market from the tabloid end. Uh, Adam's a man who would only a bit like skim milk. He'll only touch the newspaper if they got a red top. And you remember the great tabloid headings: Freddie Starrett, my hamster, gotcha, the notorious heading from the Falklands War, and also Adam, the great story where the famous uh, explorer Sir Vivian Fuchs uh, departed on another expedition. Sir Vivian Fuchs off to the Antarctic. Adam, we got this idea of it being a bit grubby down in the tabloid end. What would you say to that? Might be right. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, um, there's a place for everybody, isn't there? I think tabloids do, do a lot of good work and the, uh, the board sheets do as well. I mean, Arthur talks about breaking stories. I'm just, just trying to remember his last one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to Arthur in a minute on that one. But uh, just the old image of the tabloid editor. With it. Do they still all sit there ranting and raving before departing for a 10-point lunch? There's still quite a lot of shouting goes on, but with what's happened at the minute, that's probably the same at the time. There's so many people working at home, you don't get the same dynamic from the office. Fair enough. There's still quite a lot of ranting. Still 10-point lunches? 10-point lunches. That's just the reporters. <laughs> okay. Chaps, um, let's move on. We've got the autumn series coming up. Ireland, Wales this week, Italy, Scotland in Florence. I mean, you wouldn't mind going to Florence as long as you didn't have to watch Italy, Scotland. England, Georgia, France, Fiji. Lawrence, is this concept grabbing you, the, the Autumn Nations Cup? Well, it's the first time for a while that we've had games where, you know, there's not necessarily on the on the outside a, a real purpose to them. The game, and, and I mean that in the, in the best possible way. Uh, I'm sure the coaches of each country wouldn't, wouldn't like me to hear, hear me say that, but uh, mm. we've been sort of driving towards the culmination of, of the Pro 14 season, of the Gallagher Premiership, of the, um, of the Heineken Cup, and, and everything's been building towards you know, finding out an eventual winner. You know, what we have now is is what's always been known as friendly internationals. We can't dress it up any other way. This Nations Cup is not really what what we wanted. You know what I mean? We wanted to see the best of the Southern Hemisphere against the best of the Northern Hemisphere. And that's the way it always always works out in the autumn. And for most of us, that that represents, you know, a big challenge because the, the World Cup and the best rugby nations generally reside in the South. So uh, 
it gives you a chance to um, to, to pit yourselves against that. But um, you know, for, for lots of different reasons, that's not happening. And what and what everyone has is, is just had to be very flexible. They've had to react. I'm not quite sure everyone's grass who playing who just yet, uh, even though it's been sort of advertised for for a while. And then England's first game is Georgia. Then they play Ireland. Don't they? Then then Wales, and then hopefully one other game. So um, it just feels a bit odd that we've got this kind of mismatch of well, it's a bit like throwing a party and then sort of having some, some confirmed guests and then they all decide they're not coming and then you just sort of throw the invitations out there again and go, well, the doors are open, who fancies joining? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the first summary, but joking apart with the tabloids, you're yeah. very good at uh, assessing the market and the interest. How do you how do you see that? Is, is, is there tabloid action there? Are your taste buds personally tingling? Well, there, there will be. I mean, they're basically making the best of a bad job, aren't they? We're going to get get what we're given on this. Um, obviously, we want to see the Wallabies and the All Blacks and the Springboks up here, but it's not happening. So, um, I think there'll be a lot of interest in it still. It is about to fire off in the week, isn't it? Yes. And well, that's chipping off for your benefit. Yeah. Alex, you follow England uphill and down Dale. Is there any, uh, what are England going to do or how are they going to use these matches? The thing that interests me about this autumn is, is, is what it means for for beyond th- this year and, and for for the global calendar because through necessity the Six Nations have created a, a, an autumn tournament and that's very much where World Rugby wants the global calendar to be to have the autumn meaning more than a series of one-off test matches. Now, for a lot of us, a one-off test match and, and I would include myself, a one-off test match it, it, it still has incredible importance and and if the All Blacks or the Springboks or Australia were at Twickenham, on that day, that game means everything. And that, that applies in, in Test cricket as, as it does in Test rugby. But the commercial experts will tell you that there needs to be more of a narrative. We see it in football with the Nations Cup replacing friendly matches. It gives every game a, a meaning above and beyond just that 80 minutes, that 90 minutes in football. So I'm just interested in how that ends up feeling that in that in the autumn, we're playing towards an eventual winner. Uh, and then in a couple of months' time, we'll have, we'll have the Six Nations proper. This definitely feels like a Six Nations light competition. It might feel mm-hmm. stronger if Japan had made it. Obviously, they, they couldn't travel. And, and how will England approach it? Well, I think they'll approach it by wanting to win it, but by also evolving the team, really, as he has done since the World Cup, with seven new players who have played for England since the World Cup. And I expect that to continue. As he, Not that he'll necessarily blood loads more new players, but he'll give opportunities to Ollie Lawrence. Tom Dunn will win some more caps. He might, he might even start against George, I don't know. But So I think Eddie Jones will, will use it to, to evolve his team, but he'll want, he'll want to win the competition. But it's just interesting to me how this will be a, uh, a forerunner to, to what might come down the line in terms of a, of a global competition where everything has to be part of a narrative. Eddie Jones has already sort of voiced his um, a few views. I know it's early days, but... Uh... He's already said that the nature of Six Nations rugby is it's so, you know, so physical, so intense, you know, the one-off nature of the games. He's always picked a side that, that he believes can go out and win that game. Now he's sort of left himself a little bit of room to manoeuvre in this, in this autumn series by saying that he's still going to pick the side that he believes will win the game. But actually he knows that against the likes of, um, of Georgia and even Ireland and Wales, given that it's not a Six Nations fixture, that he's got a bit of uh, a bit, 
bit of an opportunity to to have one eye on building this team moving forward. So, you know, I agree with, with Arthur. I think there will be a lot of familiarity to his selections, as there always is. You know, he, he likes to pick a, a spine of the team that he feels is uh, is his, and then he will bring in one or two new, new options. You know, Jack Willis might get a run uh, in the back row. Ben Earl might get a run. You know, it's an opportunity to freshen things up. And maybe it's an opportunity for him to admit that, that Slade at 12 didn't look so good, really. He's been talking about Ollie Lawrence, hasn't he, this week? So maybe he feels that he needs to get back to, to something like that as well. So it'd be fascinating to see that the selection does it always is with Eddie. I mean, England, you'd expect, would, would want to put their best foot forward. And with the games where they're being played, um, you, you know, you'd hope that they're right there at the end in December playing against a, a worthy opponent in the final. Ben Earl might get a run at inside centre based on uh, on Eddie Jones's last press conference, which I, I was I was expecting him to to bring up the idea of playing nine forwards because he's mentioned it before. He mentioned it when he was talking about Jack Noel as a as a hybrid player, as, as a sort of you know a wing who could play as a ninth forward because he when he was Japan coach and they played Georgia. He fielded a number eight on the wing, Hendrik Tui, and this week or this weekend he raised the same idea. And, uh, and name check Ben Earl as a as a as a hybrid player who could who could do a job as as a ninth forward while stationed in, in the bat line. And Eddie Jones is looking to evolve the game and push boundaries. I'm not sure he's quite at a point where he'd name Ben Earl as inside centre, but you know he, he does look at how the game is played. I think England, the way England played in Italy was was a reaction to what he expected from the refereeing. And you know, he, he said as much in advance. He doesn't feel the referees are allowing quick ball, and so therefore he played. He played that way. Maybe it will free up a bit in the autumn. Maybe not quite so much to to see him pick Ben Earl at, at twelve. But um, but you know, you know what? I wonder, I, they, I wonder if they'll sit down and say, right, we're going to have this rule: no box kicking for, for for you know for for five minutes or something like that. You know, when they shout a particular call, no one's allowed to kick the ball because rugby's about winning, and Test rugby is definitely about winning, but. But equally, you want to do that by putting a smile on people's faces. Now, I'm not sure winning in the way that they did against Italy necessarily put a small smile on everyone's face, but not, not an enormous one because they could have won that game playing a number of different ways. And in the end, you know, they're justified in the way that they play. But I'd love to see this, this tournament as a, as a way of just having a maybe, having a go and maybe doing things a little bit differently than you would have to do in the situations. You can always revert back to type, but we're not playing the way. And the other thing, Alex, I just wanted to ask you, because you know everything about England. Eddie Jones has, has obviously transformed his coaching team over the last year or so. Many of them are now applying their trade in the premiership that were with him last year. He, he's, he's made one more addition, isn't he? The guy from Melbourne Storm that's just helped them win the NRL title. When, when does, when does that, when does he arrive? So he's in camp now. He's just arrived. Yeah, Jason Riles, who who'd done some work with England over the last few years as a defence specialist, coming in helping Paul Gustard at the time with with England tackle technique and and that kind of thing. He's he was working for Melbourne Storm as an assistant coach. They won the NRL title two weekends ago, and he's he's now come up and he's he's joining the England management team as as a skills coach. It's his title. They'll have a roving role. Working with John Mitchell and with with Simon Amor and and and, uh, and that completes Eddie Jones' England coaching team now. Certainly, his plan through to the World Cup. And um, Royals is an energetic, good, good guy, and I think he'll be. I think will be a positive addition to that to that setup. Okay, so what we're saying is that um, there's going to be possibility of backs playing in the forwards playing in the backs. Brand new bloke came in. 
uh, seems to me that uh, recipe for either inspiration or utter incoherence. But Adam, let me come to you. The boys been saying, obviously, there's a chance for, to see other, other names. Now, England have got matches against Wales, they've got Ireland, and then they've got, hopefully, a final against someone strong. Surely, against in the first match against Georgia, who were abject against Scotland, Surely, Eddie has got to put all his B team in. Everyone who he's all, we've always wanted to see, Lawrence, Willis, and all these guys, and just get them out there and let's see what they can do. Surely, you wouldn't waste your frontline players in an eminently winnable game. Well, I totally disagree. I read your piece in the Sunday Times uh, last Sunday when you were championing the cause of all these players. I sort of with a Clark Woodward have scored in this. Um, just pick your best team, batter Georgia, then worry about it. Ireland next week. I mean, I mean, Lawrence is a, is a former player. How would you feel if a coach came up and said, "Was a game we're supposed to win by forty points next week?" You're not. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sort of in between that. I think you. I don't like giving away cats easily because they're bloody hard to earn, even though there's a lot of them these days. But I do feel that um, you know you pick a very strong side, and then around that you, you've got the opportunity to bring in. I mean, what you want is you want. There's no point picking a load of players against Georgia and then them realising in their heart that they've got no chance of getting picked the following week against Wales or Ireland. So I think you want to create that healthy mix between the squad and pick players who genuinely deserve to be there. Um, now, he might decide that Ollie Lawrence is not quite ready for that yet. You know, as he called him, uh, I don't know where he'd be in the kitchen, but he, would, he wouldn't be a sous chef quite just yet, would he? He'd be, um, he'd be a kitchen porter probably at the moment. You know, you've got to earn your stripes to a degree. So I think that's what Eddie feels as well. And I don't think he, even though in the past maybe you could have accused him of, of having to give away caps. I think I, I think he'll approach it very differently on this occasion. By the way, you said you didn't like my piece at the time. I didn't like your piece in the mirror very much either. <laughs> but um, you, can you, so you don't want to see uh, you don't want to see Dan Robson. You don't want to see Jack Willis. You don't want to see anyone who's uh, not a first choice player at the moment. You don't want to see Ollie Lawrence. You just don't want to see these lads. that just play the first team every game. Well, I don't think playing Dan Robson or Jack Willis has been an experiment. I mean Eddie. On Saturday, we, we spoke to him and he's, in one breath he said the last experiment, experiment he did was in a biology class when he was a teacher. And then he's talked about playing Ben Earl on the wing or whatever. Well, I know. Guys, just move on. Um, Lawrence, the uh, most impressive team in the last Six Nations just ended. Uh, they didn't win it, but at the end, France were the most impressive team at the very end crossing the finish line. Is this tournament Francis to lose, do you think? Well, no, I think they're still very much work in progress. They're definitely the sleeping giant of world rugby. You know, let's not forget that they've, they're holding quite a few of the aces in, uh, in world rugby now as well, with Bernard Laporte in, in position. So whilst he's got the world's interest at heart, you know, that, that world definitely starts in France. So when things are going right for you off the pitch, they tend to sort of follow on the pitch as well. And, uh, and so, so, yeah, I think France are definitely work in progress. They've got a very settled coaching side. I think they've done what no French team has ever done before. They've picked the same halfbacks for quite a lot of games consecutively. I mean, it's never been done, certainly in the mm. As far as I can remember, and in Dupont, they have one of the uh, the best players in the world, just been named European Player of the Year, quite understandably, one at a cancer, so he should. But also with uh, with Ed Samak and one or two other players as well, they, they really got their stuff together. In Sean Edwards, we know that, that they've got one of the best coaches in world rugby. His, his record speaks for itself, quite why Wales didn't give him a, a four-year deal with a, 
with a bit more on top, uh, they wouldn't be in the mess that they're in now. You know, France just looked at that. Ibanez worked with him, knows exactly what to expect and said, yeah, let's, let's get him on board. And, and his work's been transformational, as is the work of the other coaches, which has probably gone a little bit unnoticed. But no, listen, France are uh, definitely still got a lot of improving. Uh, they've got to get fitter. They want to, they want to be one of the best teams in the world. They've got to get more disciplined. But my word is they got a galaxy of players that they can pick from. They're still going to lose the odd game. They haven't quite got everything in place, but they're going to be very, very hard to beat. And uh, and that makes them a very dangerous side indeed. The other challenge they've got, Jonesy, in the autumn is is a commitment they've made to the clubs that they can't, they won't start all the players in every game. I think there's mm. a limit of three of their six autumn yeah. games that a player can start, which is going to mean that they have to make some changes. That said, they're in a group with Italy, Scotland, and Fiji. So I would absolutely expect France to make the, the A final, if you like, on that last weekend. Mm. Adam, I know you've got some strong views on Australia and New Zealand this, this week, Atlas, but just a, a line from Wales. Uh, Wales were abject against Scotland recently. Uh, they've no lost a coach who's really just gone into the system. If you watch the two Welsh teams yesterday play Pro 14, they were absolutely abject. It just seems hard at the moment to remember that it's only just over a year ago that Wales were in the World Cup semi-final. Their new chief executive, their new chairman, has never played any part in professional rugby whatsoever. I think the club tail is wagging the dog down there, and they're reverting to the dark ages. So I think Wales will probably be in the B or C final. Adam, All Blacks lost again on the weekend. Uh, They lost to a team who they'd beaten by nearly 50 points the week before. What was the difference? And did Australia uh, suggest it was more than a one-off? It's the 95th time they've played each other this year. (laughs) Having got pumped by 40 points or whatever it was the week before, the Aussies actually fronted up. And um, they've got a couple of decent new kids. And their favourite has had a bit of a shake-up. The lads... um, Wilson on the, in the back row and Tom Wright on the wing. Obviously, the game got slightly skewed by the red and yellow cards, which were all um, totally justified. But it's a great win for the Aussies. One or two big lads in there coming through as well. One or two forwards looked like they didn't take any any uh, rubbish from New Zealand. And, uh, this guy Harry Wilson in the back row, he looked decent. But then also the, the Aussies had uh, Reese Hodge playing at ten, which is um, doesn't happen all that often. And uh, yeah, the Kiwis are a bit off colour, but hey, you know. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're going to move on now to the community game. We're going to speak to uh, a man called Terry Burwell, that we all know. The list of rugby competitions with Terry has originated or helped originate is vast. World Seven Series, Heineken Cup, Anglo-Welsh Cup, uh, RFU Championship goes on and on. Uh, Terry is now the chairman of the RFU of the Adult Competitions Management Group and also an advisory group on COVID implications. He's played a major part in uh, the game, well, hopefully, the, the game preparing to return. It's been grim at the moment. They've cancelled the whole season in terms of uh, leagues and competitive play. You've had the, the horrendous problem of basically liaising um, with the community game and, and your colleagues at Twickenham and the DCMS to try and get rugby, which is an out-and-out uh, contact sport, uh, back on the agenda when contact is in the COVID year is not encouraged. How difficult has that been? Well, there's a whole series of strands to that, Stephen. It's obviously, you know, first of all, the community game itself has, has, has been incredibly resilient through, through what's been a challenging time. You know, the, the clubhouses have been mothballs, the, the clubs have been, you know, quite positive about trying to, to retain themselves. But then, you know, that was all against the background and the hope of being able to play some meaningful rugby and, and, all of the work we did at the RFU back in May was to try and facilitate that. But of course, we keep coming up against what is effectively the roadblock of, of um, as you rightly say, that the fact that rugby is a contact game. And whilst we can we can add in, um, you know, touch and tag and, and some of the other, other issues, what is our USP, our UNX selling point has always been the ability to uh, what you might call legitimise violence, you know, in, in a controlled manner. And that's been the attraction of our sport and, and, and it's, of course, now the challenge of our sport. You did have a, a nice pathway. Just tell us where, what the starting point was and, and the level we're now at. Because at the moment, you are allowed to play tennis side touch rugby. How, 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 just explain how we got well, there. there. There was a six-piece plan, really, which was you know, a graduated return to play. And it started with, with just two people kicking or passing a ball to each other under very controlled environments. And gradually, you know, as, as we went, came out of lockdown in the summer, the shackles came off and we moved to what's known as phase D, where we are now, which is what you rightly say, which is sort of tennis side what's called um, Ready for Rugby, which is, which is a version of, of touch and tag. Um, and, and, and it's a mobile, fast-moving game uh, that, that appeals. It's a game that most rugby players recognise as, as a pre-training mechanism, and it's filled a void. But, of course, it's, it's there against the hope and expectation and aspiration of being able to um, get back into some sort of contact. Uh, and, you know, the challenge has been to go to the next stage, which is Phase E, and Steve Granger and the team at Twicken have been working incredibly hard with the DCMS to unlock that. They managed to do some work, obviously, with the Women's Premiership 15s, the Alliance, to try and facilitate that um, in, in an adapted game, which reduced the number of scrummages significantly. And, and, and in some cases, should have reduced some of the malls. But 
didn't necessarily. Nevertheless, that's in a controlled environment, in a semi-elite structure, and most community clubs are not able to control the environment in the same way. So DCMS and Public Health England, whilst were sympathetic, weren't able to sort of release the shackles to us. So, so we're stuck in limbo, really. The game is desperate to get back to some form of contact. It's now nine months since anybody meaningfully made a, made a tackle of any description, and that's why people want to participate and play. You know grassroots rugby and the community game as well as anyone. Can you just sort of almost quantify or describe the sense of um, pain and angst? Because, you know, we, we all know, and we've been talking to this before you came on, that the community game's massive and it's, it's, way worth, it's, it's worth way, way, way more than rugby. It's, it's the heart of the community and it's what rugby is. How, how horrible and frustrating as have you found it yourself and the people you deal with? You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I've always said the rugby club is, is the biggest single provider of community-based participation sport in, in most communities. Your tennis club, your cricket club, your local little football clubs, etc., don't have the same resource and energy that, that comes about from the community club. And so the consequences of that is, is we, it is so much more than just a Sunday morning or a Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday night. It's, it, it becomes a fabric of everything that people are involved with. And, and that's why... You know, we moved away from the term grassroots to community because whilst football will always be the national game, we had a sense that, that rugby had a special place as the community game. And, and, and it's now that that is being really strongly tested. And because of people, one of our great strengths, as you know, from Maidenhead is, is, is the facilities that we have, that, you know, the opportunity that provides to young people to participate in sport. And of course, all of that is relatively unique to, to, to rugby football. It doesn't exist, you know, in, in, in the local park soccer pitch. You know, it, it, exists, it doesn't exist fundamentally for hockey clubs. So, so we have some unique challenges in terms of off the pitch as well as trying to ensure we've got a really strong product on the pitch. And, and, and that makes it doubly challenging. So we've now got commercial pressure as well because we've got 1,500 small businesses out there who are currently not traded for nine months. Funding comes from the membership and the membership is, is starting to say, well, you know, I'll pay my SIBs, but what am I getting for my money? During the summer, we, we look closely at what this might look like. Um, and we did a lot of scenario planning. Uh, you know, what if we start in September? What if we start? Here we are now in November. And we're still not started. What if we started in January? And January, ironically, when we planned back in May, was our worst case scenario. It's now emerged as our best case scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the whole thing has flipped itself over. And we're still hoping that we can get to some contact version, be it adapted laws in, 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 in January. But a lot of that depends on, on how we emerge from this lockdown on, on December the 2nd and the work that Steve and his team are doing daily with DCMS and Public Health England to try and facilitate that. You decided to abandon the community game competitive season, the leagues, etc. We can, we, we can un understand that. Um, you've just said the current thinking and hopes for the next move. But we do come up against this thing about just to get things back. Are you creating something that doesn't really look like rugby? Now, the Premier 15s with the girls, I thought, I saw them play on Saturday. We don't like there not being too many scrums. I think there was only one. But, you know, we prepared to lump it. But how, how much are the, the community clubs and, and, the, and rugby players prepared to go to get back out on the field? Are they prepared to go so far now that it doesn't really look like rugby? 
and is that the difficult question? I think that's the sense of that is, is right, Stephen. Whereas, you know, when we were back in phase D back in September, with, you know, with touching tag and everybody saw it as a, as a route to, to the next stage and, and hopefully for phase E and then into, into full contact. Now full contact seems to be some distance over the horizon. Um, you know, so therefore, you know, the, the mood has changed significantly. And basically they're saying, look, you know, we'll accept anything now. But of course, that comes with some inherent risk. Because, you know, we move to a game which doesn't have scrums or malls uh, and it becomes uh, a game that maybe still has line outs and, and, and has, has a little bit, you might call it hybrid, somewhere between rugby league and rugby union. The challenge we've got, of course, is that 20% of our participants in a team of 15 are front row forwards and they become very quickly an endangered species. And, and if we look, we are already under significant pressure as a sport to try and facilitate and find people willing and wanting to play in the front row. Uh, and, you know, over the years, we've worked really hard to keep that, that as a fabric of the community game. But if, if they are marginalised in some form going forward, then there is a real risk. So we've got to look carefully as to what that means for your front row forward and how we bring them in, into the play going forward. Because we could have a scenario, you know, two, three years down the road where we've now got a, an acute shortage of front row forwards because they've gone off to do other things. And as you know, and, and you know, your family and my family will know over the years, rugby is a game of habit. It's a game that your DNA gets sewn into on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning. And if you don't, you know, if you don't follow that thread, it's very difficult to, um, you know, to, to, to re-establish it. And on a wider context, you know, I'm chairman of referee societies, you know, some referees have not refereed in anything meaningful for nine months. You know, many of them, you know, were an age profile will go off and do other things. So there is a real issue that, that we need to sort of manage the process going forward through and, and, Whilst adapted laws, yes, you know, let's get playing. You know, that's the mantra we're putting at the moment. Let's get playing. Let's find a way of playing some meaningful rugby again. Doesn't matter what sort of competition it is. Let's play locally. Stay nice and tight and close. Give people the opportunity to play again. But you know, be aware that that we might be parking some serious challenges with surrounding you know the game as we understand it uh, down to the future. You say about front row forwards, we're worried that they, that, that they might not come back, etc. But also, are you also worried that the members, the kids, the parents, as well as the front row forwards, will leave or depart as well and not come back? Or is the pull of community clubs still going to be there? And actually, they may come back in droves to... Uh, to the game uh, when they can. I think it's a groundswell of people desperate to get back to their club. I mean, even, uh, you know, at a community club of a second team game on a Saturday where I might stand watching a referee, you know, there will be 20, 30 people around that that, that pitch who are, who are watching in an interest who will then share a beer afterwards. That social aspect of the game goes beyond the, the 30 participants. It also applies to the people who might be just walking past with their dog. You know, that's part of the fabric of, of a community game. And more difficult to, to, to look at it is the impact on, on, on the age grade rugby within the club environment. Clearly, there's still a little bit of rugby going on in schools in a controlled curriculum environment. From a club perspective... You know, the, ch- the challenge is, is that those youngsters, you know, who basically only really know competition in some form. And when I say competition, I don't necessarily mean winning prizes. I mean, being in a competitive environment in a match against another club. That's competition for many people. You know, are starting to say, well, actually, I'll drift away to the local football club. I'll, I'll go and, and, and do something else. And that's, you know, we have to we have to continue to make 
you know, our clubs and our product, you know, so attractive that, that people will say, look, no, I, I need to get back to that. But I stress our clubs are incredibly resilient and, I, and found mm-hmm. all sorts of ways of, of doing things. I think their patience is being tested. And so the unlocking of the, of the, of the contact game will, I think, unleash a new enthusiasm. And then it's a question of how we manage that enthusiasm going forward and sell it again. Finally, Terry, the key really is just like everyone in, in, in real life, we're waiting to see if the, the incidence of the virus drops in this lockdown. I think so. But of course, the big challenge and one of the reasons why, why we, we ultimately cancelled the league programme and, and, and some of the other competitive programmes is the fact that we've got such regional differences in, in, in rates. And, and, and we couldn't guarantee that, that clubs and players would want to travel out of their locality into what they might perceive and their families and employers might perceive as, a, as being a higher risk area. So clearly, we've got to see a, a, a move right across the country in many respects. Now, I talked to friends in Cornwall and I talked to my colleagues over on the Isle of Wight where the, where the, the, the infection rates are incredibly low. There's also concerns if they travel further up they're running a risk so there's a managed risk situation so that's you're exactly right Stephen that's exactly how we are in life you know individually we're managing our risk and 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 making you know good decisions we hope and rugby clubs and rugby players will be the same I don't expect 100% of our players to recommit but our challenge will be to get as many as possible to re-engage in our sport as quickly as possible. Terry Burwell thank you Terry and uh, good luck to you and all your endeavours um Alex, we've heard what Terry had to say there. Some concern about the community game, A, because of the lack of fitness, etc., and B, uh, the doubt as to whether everyone will actually come back to the game when it restarts. What, what, if you, do you share those concerns? Joe, absolutely. Uh, I thought Terry explained the situation really well. I think f- from the conversations I've had with club coaches and club chairmen around the community game, they're worried about player retention and they're also worried about volunteer retention which is which is perhaps not the not the main point that you think of if, of of a, of a community club who just wants to get players in but without the volunteers you have no club and if they get turned away and they get turned on to helping their their kids go and play another sport because they're not allowed to play rugby there's there's a real worry in the grassroots game that not only will they lose players but they'll lose volunteers and without Without those, you have no game. John Westerby, our colleague, wrote a, wrote a brilliant piece in, in today's edition of The Times in which he's, he's spoken to the grassroots clubs of four of England's newest cats, Ollie Thorley and, and, uh, and Johnny Hill and, and, and Tom Dunn, and, and sort of told those stories and how, how much of a thrill it was for, for those community clubs to see their player progress and make their England debut. But at the same time, they now can't open the clubhouse to watch the games this weekend. They have mm. no rugby for people to come in and, and pay to watch and, 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 you know, spend money in the bars. And they're all in, in real difficult, a really difficult position at, at the moment. And the community game is, is struggling and, and it throws up this debate as, as to how you say, how you save it. Are you prepared to accept uh, an adapted version of the game just to get some rugby being played? It's a, it's a big conversation happening in the um, in the heartlands of, of the game at the moment. Uh, Lawrence, um, one of the things that there is a possibility of, I mean, for instance, the Premier 15, the girls, they're allowed to play, but with severely adapted laws. There was one scrum in the game I saw on Saturday because most of the scrum offences can now be dealt with with a tap penalty, which is not ideal. Do you think that uh, just to get the players out there again, we should accept some really radical changes because the Department of Culture and Media and Sport will not allow scrummaging? 
So do, is it worth it if rugby can't have a scrum? Uh, yes, it is at the moment. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't think I'd ever say that, but the reality is that we, we all have to find ways around what's currently going on. There has to be flexibility. You know, none of our lives are, are being lived the way we, we, we particularly like them to be lived, but we, we're having to get on with it. We're having to adapt. We're having to survive. And, and I think rugby in particular, well, sport and rugby in particular has to adapt and survive as well. To, to, to Terry's point, to, to you know, to, to Alex's point, there's so much that goes on at rugby clubs and it's not just what happens on the field. You know, clearly... What happens on the field is the end product, and that's mm. great for a lot of people. But they are one of the pillars of a lot of communities. If yep. you're not playing on the field, then then the motivation to continue to turn up off the field and, and volunteer and support is that you know they go hand in hand. You know they need each other, and so therefore, I think whatever it takes, we need to come up with a plan that gets that gets these rubber clubs open, gets people back on track. Because as you said, it's there's so much more that happens at rugby clubs than just what happens on the field. I think we have to recognise that. So, yeah, no scrums, no lineouts makes the game uh, a bit easier, to be honest with you. Adam, you came up in uh, in both your sports, cricket and rugby, through the club route. I don't know how you came up in greyhound racing, but uh, you're certainly a club man uh, to, to your bootstraps. And uh, how much would it admit you had missed from your life without that sort of camaraderie which, which grew up on your way up? Well, no, everything. I mean, even if even if you're not going to play for England, playing club cricket and playing club is fantastic. I mean, I spoke to a mate of mine yesterday who um, is heavily involved in a rugby club around here, and he's worried whether they're going to come out the other side of this. They can't open the bar, you can't go and watch the autumn internationals in the clubhouse. You know, they've played a few games of touch and things like that. But I think it's pretty desperate. And Lowell's right because um, they are the centre of the communities. Let's um, can I ask you a question. Did you go and see some of the Premier 15s this weekend? Yes, I did. So one of the things that I, you know, I haven't seen any of it, and, and I'm sure that a lot of the, the community game players and, and administrators who are who are contemplating now whether to accept adaptive laws maybe haven't seen it in action either. There aren't that many scrums at the at an elite level anymore, anyway. But I think that number would would increase the further down the pyramid you go. You know, it, it's all very well for Makovunapola to be this all singing, all dancing prop, but when you're in level seven or eight, that your role as, as a front row forward is to be a front row forward. If you don't have scrums, what did the game look like for, for for the props in the Premier 15s game? And if you don't have scrums, are there then too many people on the field because you don't have those close contact elements that create the fatigue, which create the space as the game goes on? It looked like uh, a thing where fatigue had not been created. As far as I can see, there were 30 players running around full pace right at the very end. There, were, there was no fatigue. To be honest with you, the girls I saw the game between Loughborough and Harlequins, it was incredibly good. They'd adapted really well. But I'm afraid that uh, when, when there's a, a tiny knock-on and you get a, a free kick, the other team go back 10 metres for you to do whatever you want with it. It just didn't feel right. There was only one scrum. There are a lot of adaptive laws, but I have to say, as far as the girls were considered, it looked like a rugby game. It was competitive. There was lots of skills. I don't know whether it would be different for men with their possibly extra size, but as a start, I thought it was okay uh, and very encouraging. Actually, a really enjoyable game with some skills on show. If you ask the players themselves, I mean, if you're sure if you ask them those, the, the ladies after the game, would they prefer to be playing or under those adapted rules or not playing at all, uh, I think the, the answer would categorically be they prefer to be playing. Now, I've got a son who's down at Bristol University at the moment. Clearly, he's not playing any rugby because 
of the lockdown measures until the second of December. But when they restart again and they, and they play and they get back to play touch rugby, you know, yes, it's not the real thing. It's not, you know, he wants to be. You couldn't wait for full contact when you were eight or nine years old, mm-hmm. and it's no different when you're nineteen or twenty. But the reality is, if you have, if you give him that option or no rugby at all, you bite your hand off for the, for the first option. So we have to remember that people just want to get back playing, get back to their clubs, get back with each other. There's so much more to rugby than just what, as I keep saying, what happens on the field. It's the social yeah. side of what happens off the field, and uh, and that's really really important because. You take that away from people, you're, you're taking away a large part of what makes them happy. You're quite right. And in terms of the uh, social side, we have on the panel three of the all-time great socialisers that the, the world has ever seen. We're going to come on now very briefly to, to, to round up with our God or Goddess of the Week. My God of the Week is Marika Kouribeti, Wallabig Centre, who had an absolute stormer on Saturday in the uh, Premier's New Zealand. I interviewed him and well, I tried to interview him in Japan during the World Cup. He doesn't say much. He can play all right. That's a good one, Corabetti. Lawrence? There's a number of candidates there. I was going to say Dave Rennie because um, anyone that, who can coach a team gets absolutely walloped one week by the All Blacks and they, and they were properly schooled and then comes back and produces that or gets that kind of performance out of his players suggests that um, you know, this is a man who's going to be here to stay for a very long time and Australia have found something that maybe... Even New Zealand questioned whether they should have found a little while ago because uh, he is some coach. But actually, my God of the week has to go to a player, really. Uh, and it's um, the little French maestro that was named European God of the uh, of the Year, Anton Dupont. He's only scored one try in the uh, in, in international rugby in the tournament itself. But uh, my word is he played well. And uh, he's really... He's made everyone like France again, even me, which is quite worrying. Really. Uh, I'm, I'm putting it down to Sean Edwards, not down to him. But uh, he's actually, everyone's talking about France, going, isn't it nice to see France back? I tell you, once they're back, you won't be saying that for very much longer. But, um, he's, he's made everyone like France again. And uh, credit to him, he's, uh, he's my God of the Week. Excellent. Now, Alex, you've been thinking about your God of the Week for a mere two or three hours. Have you come up with anything? Well, actually, yeah, I'd come up with similar theme to Lawrence to pick Emily Scarrett for the same reason, really. She was voted player of the Women's Six Nations and in, a, in another Grand Slam winning campaign for England. DuPont was magnificent. Cora Bessie was just outstanding for Australia. And Emily Scarrett should be considered in the same echelon. So I'll, I'll pick her as my goddess of the week. I think that's a good one. Emily Scarrett was very, very quiet in the game that I saw when her team were well behind. She then uh, put two chips into a win, which led to scores. Then she scored two long wins, tries herself. So, so much for being quiet. So I think we got some good gods or goddesses there. Thanks to Terry Burwell. Thanks for our excellent panel. Lawrence Demario, Alex Lowe, and Adam, I hate your stuff, Steve Hathaway. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for sticking with the wreck. We promise to stick with you in exchange. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.